Welcome to American Otaku. My name is Chris J. Alex. My name is Andrew Bush. And we have a guest today. Andrew, who the guest be? <laughs> well, Jay, I'm glad you asked. The guest is the guest is Diana Paz or Paz in Spanish. Paz. 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 Wait, wait. Is that is that is that peace? Yes, it's peace. See. Well, how do you pronounce and, it in Spanish? In Spanish, it'd be pas, and but pas. it sounds a little different when you say it that and way. Pas, sí. Yes. Estoy tratando de pas. aprender mi español todos los días. Uy, uy, uy. Qué bueno, excelente. Qué bueno, mucho gusto. Thank you. No Thank sabía you. que hablar español. Oh, um, okay. She, she is actually. You didn't, you didn't know I could speak Spanish. Is that what you said? Exactly. Okay. Well, bam, just laid it on you. <laughs> Jay speaks about twelve languages. So. <laughs> None of them well. None of them well. <laughs> So we uh, we met Diana from the meetup groups, like we've pretty much met all of our guests on this show so far. And Diana is actually sort of kind of famous fantasy writer. Not really, not a famous one, but I am a writer, and I write fantasy, um, among some other things. But mainly, I write fantasy novels for um, teenagers, the young adult set, or anyone who just likes that kind of genre. Like a tween audience type of thing? Maybe not tween, a little older than that. Okay. It's The girls in the story are in high school, and then it just delves into, you know, life and death, death battles with creatures and demons, and they have magic, and they time travel. So anyone who likes anything along those lines would probably be interested what in What were your biggest stories. inspirations for what's... Okay, so plug the name of your book. Yeah, you just have a book that was just released... Actually, my book's about to be released next about week. About to be released. Sorry about that. On Thursday, November 5th, which is the sequel to my first novel. The first one's called Time Spell. And the second one is Time Spell Perilous Waters. Okay. And yes. And it's basically about... Um, there are two friends who uh, discover that they have magic. And it's this ancient magic that comes from the you know mythos of time and the ancient Grecians. And they need to find the third daughter, which is the, what they're called the Daughters of Fate. And then once they do, they can unleash amazing powers. Like in the beginning, they can just move objects and light flames. But if they can find that third daughter, they can time travel. They can freeze time. They have vast powers. So um, when they do, they find out who the third girl is. And it turns out to be um, basically the most evil, heartless girl in, in the school. Oh, that's, that's yes. the twist. <laughs> that is a twist. We found out who the third one is, but she's really, really Really Do you really it. want to link yourself to this person is the question that they face in book one. And mm. obviously they do, or else there wouldn't have been a book. So it's never a spoiler to really reveal that. Mm. And, um, yes, it goes through basically seeing how uh, a really sweet girl kind of gels with a more normal friend who's also to then gels with the third one who's the opposite extreme, which is the most meanest, the, the bully, the girl who just you would never want to be friends with her. And if they don't link together, then they can't use their magic. So, cool. What were your biggest inspirations as far as uh, you know, you know, books that inspired this series? Um, my f- where the where this particular series kind of sprang was a mix of my love of um, magical girl anime and the kind of um, you know girls just of different kinds of girls working together and doing awesome things because they've you know they've unleashed this power. Mixed with my own high school, just remembering what high school was like and how I would read these stories or watch these movies and the girl who was supposedly the mean one was really never that bad. And when you went to school, there were some real horrible people and this real mean girls. And I kept thinking, like, why do they never show how truly awful these girls can be? Um, And then, so I just decided, let me just write a girl who's really that mean and that she's not going to be 
the enemy. She's going to be the one that you have to work together with and see how these girls deal with that. So, what's I mean, how did you get started on this? Because you're the first person I've met that like actually lives off of being an author. <sighs> yeah. Well, it's I've I've always wrote stories and thought about stories, and when I went through college, I trying to get my bearings on what I wanted to do with my life and I never really thought anyone could be a writer like I'd never clicked in my head that people whose names on these books were actual like people walking among us in supermarkets and things so um but about my second year of college one of my creative writing teachers you know really latched on and she told me that she did write books under a pen name and then she you know really believed in my writing so from there, I just started believing in myself as well because I thought if a published author thinks I can do it, maybe I can. And I wrote my first book, and it was horrible, and it was a learning experience, <laughs> and nobody wanted to touch it, and it was the worst ever. It was probably three times as long as a book should be, and just, it was the worst. Um, and from there, I um, learned a lot, and I joined some writing groups, and then... Um, wrote my second novel and it wasn't time spell is actually the fifth novel i'd ever written oh. and that's the first one that sold although i do believe strongly in my fourth book and i'm going to put it out probably in the next year and a half or two <laughs> um but yes when i when i finally got that you know when i finally got the agent to look at my work and i finally got a, a publisher who wanted to you know contract with me i was so excited and um uh, that really just changed everything for me in a mental way where I really knew that I could I What could were do you it. doing before you were an author? I did a little of everything because uh, with a liberal arts degree, you really don't have a <laughs> set path. <laughs> what, what, what is a liberal arts? A liberal arts degree is you, you dabble in every, almost every kind of, um, I want to say humanitarian art sort of thing. You do everything from, you take two classes of, actual drawing art two classes of music two classes undergrad and, and upper uh, lower division upper division of everything you can think of sociology psychology um you know theater and writing so when i did the, the the writing ones that's when i really connected and i think if i had done them sooner i might have changed majors but in some ways i'm glad i didn't because as a writer you really don't want to only learn writing you really need to convey the human experience so I like that I have a really well-rounded understanding of a lot of different subjects. So it served me well. But then, obviously, with that, there's not a set path. So I, I did teach third grade for a year, oh, <laughs> which, okay. which wasn't... Miss Past? So Miss Past is Pause, yeah. Ms. Pause, guys. Don't say Past. It sounds so weird to me. Pause. Sounds um, like Pez Dispenser. Yeah, it sounds weird. Pause, like Puppy Pause, or like Push Pause, pause. on the DVD or something. Pause. But yes, um... I taught for third grade for a year because before then I had been a summer camp counselor and I thought, oh, kids, you know, doing stuff with kids is great, but teaching isn't great. So <laughs> because you have to do a lot of paperwork and a lot of you don't get to just teach the fun things. You have to teach like math and science. And so that was a wake up call. So I said, OK. And I was writing at the same time anyway. I still wanted to, you know, I wanted to be an author first and foremost. So I thought, OK, that's not working out, even though summers off would have been great for my books. Um, so then after that, I shifted gears and I, um, was, I was working in an office, I guess I was, you could say I was like a secretary <laughs> and I did fun. that for <laughs> almost three years and that wasn't fun at all, <laughs> but it was a lot less, 
interesting. It was a lot less stressful because I didn't have homework to take home. Were you like a star- starving author type for a while? Like no, trying to get the first book out. No, I was never no. a starving author type. So I, you always had cake. You just have. You always. I just always home. had a really bad job at the same time, so I didn't starve. <laughs> oh, okay. Bad job, but didn't starve. Yeah, exactly. Basically. So, okay. but yes, and then just at the tail end of that third year of working um, in an office, um, that's when I. So I decided to become a stay-at-home mom. I have three kids. And so at that point, I had kid number two, and I thought, okay, I'm going to stay home. And my my mind at the time, I thought to myself, oh, okay, I'll have plenty of time to write. Like, now I'll really get to be, you know, a full-time writer. <laughs> and that was absolutely the opposite. I think yeah, I didn't yeah. write for two straight years or even pick up a book to read. Yeah. And um, by the time all that happened, um, that's sort of when um, – the young adult scene started to hit big because before then I was actually writing um, historical romance, Aww. which is my was like was my real like I just love history, which is why Time Spell is a. When you say young adult, you're talking about like the the big stuff is Hunger Games right now. Right, right now, Hunger Games, but that was uh, when I when when it started to take off was with Twilight. Yes, Twilight yes. really opened the market, and before then there really wasn't any there wasn't much in the young adult market. It was adult fiction and children's fiction. And young adults or teenagers mm-hmm. would either continue reading like Magic Treehouse and Young Things or they'd jump into the adult novel section. It wasn't, or, you know, adult fantasy or adult romance or whatever their interest was. So suddenly there was a brand new market with the young adult um, books. And I, myself, I remember thinking as a teenager because I always loved reading. I just, it was, I would live at the library. I would, I would always make up stories. So I always remember thinking to myself, it's true. When I was a kid, I read adult books because it was nothing specifically for me. And it just really intrigued me. So instead of continuing with the novels that I had been working on before, which were like medieval fantasy, a lot of high fantasy with a lot of romance in them. I said, let me try, let me try making it for, for the teenager, teenage scene. And um, that was Sinister Charms which I wasn't able to sell. <laughs> uh, but I will be rewriting, and I, I do think I do believe in it. And it's it, that's a more of a straight fantasy novel and, a, and set in a sort of hung, um, Game of Thrones kind of a world. So not young adult, really? That one, it was young adult. It's, it basically, oh. it's that, but for a young adult audience. Okay, all right. That was my first attempt at young adult. And, um, like I said, it couldn't sell. But a young adult Game of Thrones type. Exactly. That yes. does sound like it could sell, actually. Now it does. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but back sure. in the day, no, not so much. Or at least it's hard because any new concept is very hard to pitch. Yeah, try try selling Back to the Future before that came out. Like, well, it's a guy that, you know, he's Star Wars his car. Could, Star Wars could not sell. They got turned yeah. down a million times. <laughs> so you're writing a story. What... What what goes through your mind? Like, how you, did, you, did you have like a nymph that's invisible and just like, hey, sprinkle some shit like on a you. muse, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, well, I guess I don't know. I don't know why I say nymph. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have a, like a muse else. that I, I don't know. I don't think a muse would sprinkle shit. I, okay, but I say like a muse like that sings in your ears. Yeah, yeah. So what, well, where do your ideas come from? Like, how do you flesh an idea out from like into order? Mm. Well, funny you should say nymphs because the sequel actually does have nymphs in it. Mm, oh, perfect you read, you there you the go. See, somehow. thanks for reading the book ahead of time. And- <laughs> I just research. I, I am the book. Right. The book reads me. <laughs> right, no. Please continue. Deep, deep bro. But um, <laughs> I would say it's, for me, it starts with the character. It starts with seeing, some people, you know, I've, you can always start with a, a world or you can start with, you know, an, an, some sort of scene that you imagine. But for me, it's almost always the character. I find that 
from there, I start to wonder what that character would do if they're placed in some odd situation or some, like, unexpected thing. So for me, that's that's how it works. I don't know, and, I, and a lot of times, a lot of times when I'm going to interviews, they always ask, "Where do your ideas come from? Like, is there some sort of a magical thing?" And I think it's a mystery for most writers. I don't know exactly where it comes from, but some I know it's just get really, really high. <laughs> that's possible. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's the really high. But I think for me, it's a really, it's a huge kind of a glom of things I've seen that have kind of. I'm like, there's no way if I saw this in a book, I would believe it. Let me try to write it in, in a, you know, somehow anyway. Um, compa- you know, that mixed in with who my character is. And I like to see my characters in really bad situations, of course, as every writer. They, we're, we're really sadistic that way. We love our characters and we love to make them suffer. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, being in this day and age, so uh, is it hard to, to, to be a writer and get someone to put down the Hulu, the Netflix, and all that, and actually take time to read a book? Like, how hard is that? I know, I know. How do you compete? Yeah. I, you know what? It's strange. I, I have to think to myself, there, there's, there are just book lovers out there. There are just people who mm-hmm. really, that just that is their medium, and they love opening up and filling the pages or even reading it digitally. Um, I think that sometimes it can just kind of snowball on its own, especially with this age group where you have um, somebody holding a book and their friend wants to know what it is. Mm -hmm. And that kind of thing can happen because it is so physical, whereas opposed to in front of a TV, you're at home alone. There was that Fault in Our Stars too, right? That was a big tween young adult thing. And that was from a book. So, yeah, it's weird. Like this, it's a phenomenon Like the young adults are reading. Seems like it is. It's it, they're a huge part of the market right now, and I don't think they weren't there before, but I think that they weren't targeted before. Mm. So now uh. there's a place for them specifically, and there's a you know where they can go and look for the books that are meant for them. So, but one thing with all of that comes saturation as well, where you know mm. you saw it with Hunger um, with Twilight, and now you're seeing it again with Hunger Games, where so many authors just see this one thing, one Maze concept. Runner. Yeah, Maze they're, Runner. They're trying to make their own Hunger Games, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it came around the same time, and same thing with Insurgent, and I mean, they're really right. good novels, too, and they're really good um, books, and I, I've enjoyed them, and it's fine, because, uh, you know, a teenager will finish Hunger Games and want something else like it, but uh, eventually, it does become saturated, and then everybody's trying not to find what the next trend is going to be, and mm-hmm. so I tend to try to not do that as much as I did see an opening in Young Adult. I still do write what I love anyway, so... I didn't see any giant time travel or historical uh, market saturation or, you know, market thing happening, but I still, that's what I love to write. So that's what tell I you, Whenever you told to me, full, full disclosure, I haven't read your books, but <laughs> whenever you told me the synopsis, the first thing I thought was Akira, because you're talking about people getting powers, like mm. really crazy powers out of right, nowhere. Right, right. Was, is there anything like Akira that happens? Like, the, like somebody goes insane with the power without spoiling too much? Um, without spoiling too much, I'll say that there has been so far in the book this is a series it's going to be a four book series so it's on the second it's on the second novel right now um but as far as people going completely crazy with power it's leading to something like that and it hasn't uh-huh. happened okay. yet it's sort okay. of building okay all right because chronicle that movie maybe that wasn't young adult but that also kind of stole from akira and that was like a similar thing but it wasn't fantasy it wasn't like it wasn't time it wasn't time stopping powers and all that either mm. so yeah but that's well i will tell you i haven't i haven't seen akira myself so i don't okay. know for sure if it's in the same vein but i know as far as the, that trope <laughs> of 
getting a taste of power and wanting more. It's a very common theme in fantasy, and it's really interesting to explore as a writer. And I think even as a reader, yeah. it's intriguing to see, you know, that person's got power, but if they get too much of it, they're go- it's going to consume them, even like Lord of the Rings. That's essentially ring what and, happens. Yeah. Well, yeah, Lord of the Rings also with the ring, but like yeah. in Akira, um, essentially this guy gets god-like powers and it doesn't go well like it doesn't go well like superman or something like <laughs> it's it's bad so Rare. rarely would yeah. well and, and to touch on a book that i'm sure you guys have never heard of but um graceling which was one of my favorite books and and uh, fire which is the prequel semi-companion novel to it uh but yeah the same thing it's a young adult but you know it talks about someone who they have absolute control. They have absolute mind control powers over anyone that they come across. And having that from birth, how do you not become? It's almost impossible not to become corrupted if you have yeah. that kind of level of, you know, in crazy intense power. Yeah. But um, with my novel, I would say uh, I hate to spoil it by saying who, but I would say Ooh, don't spoil I'm not to spoil it. It's very tempting to just mention it because no, we're going we're gonna to gloss over that right now because <laughs> you, you got books to sell. So. <laughs> How about this segue? Is there anything Japanese related in your books? Or yeah, what like makes that? you an otaku? Why, why are you an American otaku? <laughs> yeah. Prove yourself to us. Well, unfortunately with these books, nothing about Japan uh, or Japanese or otaku. Hold on, things. we're going to take a quick break because we are actually in L.A. Real, <laughs> li- real ass L.A. with real ass things. So I'm going to go um, get my Batman on and take care of this horn. We'll be right back. <laughs> Sorry about that. No it's just problem. shit you got to deal with. Mm. They actually have to deal deal with this on big Hollywood productions too. Like, oh, I'm. They have to wait for fl- pl- planes to fly over and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not throwing a soundstage. <laughs> yeah, if you're, like you're shooting on location. Uh, I've seen it on the behind the scenes of. Um, sit on, on Blu-rays yeah. and shit. Yeah, it's everything. Hold it for plane. Hold it for plane. Yeah, hold the plane. Jack, go to go for town. All right, all right, and we're back. Okay. Sure okay, and we're back. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, we, we missed some of that because I didn't press start. Uh, is, is it good now, though? We are Recheck. good. No, okay. please. <laughs> now, I think the question that I asked before our uh, our fuck up was, <laughs> what makes you an otaku? We want to know what makes you part of us. We are legion. Okay, okay. And we want to know. Well, um, from what I remember at the in the book, as far as whether the book has anything to do with Japan, not exactly, but there is a girl, one of the three girls, um, who is a, she's a huge video game, was a huge video game addict and a huge anime fan, but she let that go and she let that, you know, she stopped that because she did not want to be seen as otaku in high school. It was a negative thing, so. And I think in some ways I can a little bit relate to that because in high school, before I moved from Miami to California, I was seen as this really big nerd and this really dorky, <laughs> oh yeah, I had no friends. For, for young adults out there, if we have the any worst. listeners, nerds weren't always cool, they if were you not. believe it or not. They weren't, no. It was, it was not a good thing, so I too, much like one of the girls in the book, just not in the same way, but I did did let it go by the wayside and I didn't game or watch, you know, the, the shows I liked or read books anymore. And um, so I want to say that I came back around to myself. I think everybody eventually, hopefully does find their real true selves. And I'm back to who I really am. And I love video games and I love anime. And um, there's always that otaku uh, I th- working I think against my productivity in life. It's so interesting to <laughs> see. For me, girls that are interested in Japanese stuff, because there is a little bit of, like, Japan's got, like, ninja stuff and samurais and, you know, like, a bunch of, like, stuff that boys like, it seems like, mm. seemingly. Mm. 
um, and ga- games too, because we, well, you like games, but we kind of grew up in an age where it seemed like games were heavily like a male driven oh, kind of thing. Oh, completely. I had no one to relate to <clears throat> as far as girls when I was growing up. I like fell in love with, you know, Legend of Zelda and Final Fantasy and just loved these games. And there was no girl I knew ever who liked them at all. It wasn't even a rare girl the way you'll find it now. It's just no girls. And right. anybody I would mention it to, it would be strange. Oh, you play, play those weird games. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, and even as I grew and, and, you know, because it happened so recently, like even I remember in college and, you know, going and like, loving Warcraft and then as I started playing World of Warcraft, I would have other female, you know, people, peers, people in my age and graduating college and it's like, you play those funny games about like swords and online things <laughs> and I I didn't have anybody that I could talk to about it. So it's kind of isolating. But now it's totally different. You can easily yeah, find girls yeah. who are into it. And Anime was just coming into the fold, uh, as far as I could tell anyway, like in what, 96 or so. For me in Alabama. I was in Alabama at the time. Yeah. I didn't move to Georgia until 98. Hmm. So 96 around that time. And I would draw like Dragon Ball characters and other anime characters in class. And like from other people in Alabama, they thought I was... From another, from Mars or yeah, something. It, it was like the weirdest thing to them. It was so strange to my friends too. It, no, not even boys really knew much about anything anime at all. But even the gaming was a little bit strange. Right. Yeah. But as far as anime, like telling anyone I liked Sailor Moon, and then like later it was like <laughs> yeah. um, Honey Flash and all of that. Forget it. It was just like. But then I met my I met my first Japanese friend, um, and that was already in college though, and. Once I met her, and her name was Yoshimi, and to this day I wish I knew her last name because I would look for her on Facebook if I did. Uh. Uh, but she had, like, original Sailor Moon VHS, and she had, like, you know, the non-dubbed ones, and, like, it just opened my eyes to a, like, a, oh. And I remember I had watched, I don't even know the names of the different animes that we would watch together, but it was just, it made me feel like, wow, I really want to hear them talking in Japanese. I mm. like that better. I like the acting better. And that's uh. what really got me interested uh. in the language. Oh, yeah, heard me. So that <laughs> so was it was it mainly games or was it mainly anime? What brought you into liking Japanese culture? I think they're so linked for me in my mind because I knew that my favorite games, you know, my games came from Japan. I knew that, right, right. and then the anime. I didn't even actually like it. Didn't click in my head as a little kid when I would watch. Um, I want to say it was like Robotech and um, uh, I forget now. Voltron and things. Whenever I would see that kind of animation, I didn't understand that that came from Japan. I just knew it was different from regular cartoon animation. Right, right. So, like, as I got older and I realized that came from Japan and so did my games, and then my friend Yoshimi knew Japanese and she brought VHSs that they talked in Japanese and it sounded cooler to me, all of it sort of came together in my mind that I really wanted to learn the language and I really wanted to go see this country. And I just, like, fell in love. And, and you recently have. And I recently have. I came, I went to Japan last year, actually. So. What did you do? Time, right? That was my first time. What did you do? What was it like? I went to Japan uh, last year in April and it was amazing and it was, like, um, better than I imagined and yet it, it's still, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I had expected it to be as awesome as it was and it really was, so. <laughs> really? Yes. Some people that go, they have a bit of disillusionment. They're like, oh, this is this is real. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a land like, of What? I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to fly and charge up? <laughs> yeah. Where's all I the, want my money back. Right? Where, where are the ninjas in Tokyo? <laughs> <laughs> and not a single robot attacked the city. This yeah. is <laughs> no, it sounds It sounds a little exaggerated, but it's not 
some people really have some problem with that. I've had I've actually talked to people like that have said that before, so yeah. I'm not surprised you're saying that. Yeah. But um, I, maybe my expectations were more level than theirs were. I don't know. Probably, yeah. yeah. I, I guess my expectations were more. I'm really into history, so I was really excited about seeing actual cultural historical things. So that was really important to me, and I love that I got to see that. Can you give us like one example of a historical thing you were into? I oh gosh, um, the yeah, most important thing you saw on your trip. I would say Miyajima Island, the all of the um, just that ancient the toriyots in the ocean and that temple there, knowing uh, it's been there for so many centuries. I mean, and yeah. also the temple on the top of the hill or the shrine, I'm not sure which it is, but this is in Hiroshima. That's right? in uh, Miyajima Island. Miyajima. Okay. That's really close to Hiroshima. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's right. like that's the one place in Japan that I really want. If I could only choose one place to go back to, Kyoto would be a second close second for me because it's also, I mean, just completely, you know, drenched in history and it wasn't touched by bombs and everything, so it wasn't that, rebuilt. Over. When I first went to Tokyo in two thousand and four, uh, it was my first time going. It was the first time I, I got, used my passport and everything, right? Hmm. Um, I went to Sensoji Temple in Harajuku. It's one of the main ones. Everybody in to- that goes to Tokyo goes to this one. Because it's in Harajuku, it's easy to go to. Hmm. And there's there was like this sign. This temple has been up, at least parts of it have been up for like 100, 800 years or something right? like that. Yes. And it, of course, you read about the stuff in books, but to see something that's older than everything in my country outside of Native American structures. Right. It kind of blew my mind. Yes, exactly. It was, it was like, whoa. You know, it, it's weird. You could read about it all you want, but then when you go and see this building... Yeah, I, I know. Mean, it just blew my mind. Blew I know, mind. totally the same experience, exactly. And walking down a street and knowing, a hundred percent knowing that on the same street, people walked five hundred, six hundred, eight hundred years ago. Yes, wearing yes, yes, yes. these clothes, these kimonos, and, and I don't like know. Right now, this this town wasn't that great, but in fifteen eighty seven, yes. this place was amazing. You know, yes. like, st- stories like that. It's like right, or even going to you know um, a temple where like you know you're thinking you're picking up this cup of water and pouring it and somebody did the same exact thing here you know some who knows what you know a, a, a servant girl a, a, I don't know I mean a princess it could have been anything you don't know and it's that mystery of history that I just it really enchants me and I love it so I would definitely go back for that reason alone and plus Japan itself is just amazing it's um I've been to a lot of big cities. I grew up in Miami. It's kind of big city life is what I've always known. I came to California and L.A. Yeah, Miami's got some history, too. <laughs> its own kind of history. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know I've, always, I've always lived in giant, big metropolis sort of places. So I, I felt right at ease going into Tokyo. I didn't. Some people were like, wow, I got to Tokyo. And it like was me. It blew my mind. And much, See, that, that was me. Because I had never ridden a train before, right? Oh, wow. Stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Pure culture shock. Yeah, I, I had some. The thing different. is, I, I would have been shocked if I went to any big city, but my first big, big city was Tokyo. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that like a lot of times people say the same thing about New York. You know, yeah, stepping out of Times Square, right? Woo. Exactly. But <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think yeah. It, I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I consider myself from somewhat like. I mean, it's not like a big city, but I mean, there's. Detroit. Sorry, no, you're, there's you're no horses Detroit. and carriages and shit. <laughs> yeah, I was near Detroit. I've, I've been to the Ren Center. It's nice, but then stepping out of something like when you just got out, I think it's 52nd Street. It's been years since I've been there, but that that was like, whoa. I'm like, wow. Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. 
I got the same, like with New York, it was the same with me with Tokyo, where I I stepped out and I really appreciated the the bigness of it, but it felt like another flavor of a big city to me. Like, you know what I'm Uh, saying? Like, which I really liked, and I I, I would love to see, you know, London for the same reason, but I don't think. I I went to Tokyo before New York. So when I went to Times Square, it was like, oh, this is like Shibuya. Right, right, right. Nothing is like Shibuya. I had the opposite sensation. There's a picture of me. 20 years old looking at Shibuya Crossing for the first time Shibuya. at night and I was I'm it's I look amazed <laughs> like somebody captured that moment I'll send it to you later awesome but. I want you to yeah, be great yeah, yeah, to see yeah. I was I was pretty amazed by it I mean I was still very amazed it was but it, it was almost like I feel like when I'm in a big city I'm coming home so it was almost like uh-huh. a more like oh I love the feel of Tokyo like I love Shibuya it was just all of the energy and this is a really I, I would love to, I could see myself living here it just seemed really high energy great and just I feel much more like that than when I go actually I kind of have the opposite feeling when I go to a really really small town and like uh, let's say Julian to go pick apples or something you know like and I see like everybody knows each other and there's these little paths it almost feels like I'm going to Disneyland I'm like is this real I want to see everything I'm going to take pictures of your houses because it just looks so adorable <laughs> like the opening scene from Beauty and the Beast everybody knows each other <laughs> yeah exactly it's like wow yeah. it's a little village it's somewhat like that I mean I'm from a small town but it's I don't know maybe because I was a little kid I didn't know but I don't remember everybody being in everybody's business all the time all the time mm. now it the, if you go to the same church in the south, oh, then okay. everybody kind of knows all, all that kind of stuff. But um, otherwise, not probably not as bad as what you're thinking. But hmm. uh, yeah, you know, it's just it's just different. Yeah, it's just different. it all seems really like seems really sweet and nostalgic. I don't know. I would miss uh, I'd miss like sushi restaurants and like being able to walk to my Starbucks and things. So <laughs> kind of spoiled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't have any plans on moving moving back either at this point. But yeah, I've pretty much I've lived in big cities since I graduated college hmm. which was Tokyo and then LA so I've kind of been, been in big cities since uh, 2006 right. so it's been a while right right 10 years it's what you're used to now yeah so any um, so any aspiring writers or so any little girls out there thinking about being writers moving to the big city if you could give them any pebbles of wisdom or advice, what would you say to somebody who's aspiring to do what you do? I would say the most important thing is to write and finish your first book because so many people, so many writers who have ever emailed me or talked to me have all said the same thing. Oh, I'm, I'm a writer and I'm, I'm working on this story, that story. And they will write and then abandon and write and abandon so many stories. And mm. until you finish that first one, you're, you've, you haven't written a book, so you have nothing to show anyone. No one can ever see your thing. So I would say you have to – there's a certain element of you want everything to be perfect. You want you, you can't get what's in your mind onto the page in the right way, so you start rewriting, rewriting, and finally you might give up and start something fresh because it's just too much of a mess that you've made with that other story. So you start again and you start again. And if you never learn how to um, be, be proud of – I would say good enough is much better than perfect if good enough is finished and perfect isn't because no yeah, one will yeah, ever yeah, yeah, ever yeah, read yeah. your in your perfect unfinished book no one will ever read it no one will ever buy it so I would say be very happy with a good enough finished product than the perfection of a started unfinished product mm-hmm. and if you can do that if you can finish that first book and it's not good enough you're still finished a book. And how many people have you ever met who have finished writing an entire novel? It's not very You're many. the first I've met. 
<laughs> words, seriously, words of wisdom. Yeah. So, how do we keep in touch with what you're doing? Are you on Twitter? Are you on Instagram? What? what, what I'm is... on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Can you tell us how to get? <laughs> yes. Okay. So, if you want to find me on, um, if you want to find me, the easiest way, all the ways you can find me, you can just go to dianapause.com. And look at, con- you know, contact, and you can find all of those places. And pause is spelled. P-A-Z. So Diana, D-I-A-N-A, P-A-Z dot com. And then, you know, if you find me there, you'll see my Diana Pause books. Slash, if that's the Facebook reference. Diana Pause Writes is my Twitter. If you want to see just the more anime cosplay things I do, that's at, that'd be at Facebook.com slash Diana May Pop. That's D-I-A-N. I M E P O P. So there's different things. I, I keep things a little separate. I keep the book things on Facebook in one place, and then the anime cosplay stuff on another. Just because if there are people who like both, they can follow both, or they can do one or the other if they're not interested in one or the other. So sweet. Well, Diana, I'm a fan. Good. Where do we? Where, where can we? Where do we start? Like if we are we are beginning fledgling Diana Paws fans, and we <laughs> wanted to start at the at the at the beginning. Where were we? Hey, thanks for dropping the mic. That's not loud. sorry about that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> if we wanted to start your collection and then and go through the gamut, where would we start? Well, the first book would be Time Spell. That's ah. the first book that you'd want to read, and then the next book comes out next week, and you can get those at you can get the paperback of Time Spell on Amazon.com. You can go to Barnes and Noble and find it online or order it at Barnes and Noble. Um, the the sequel will be the same thing. You in Barnes and Noble? Yes. No, countrywide, no. countrywide. Well, Barnes with, in Barnes and Nobles, you have to go to the desk and have to ask for me. You have to say, "Can I put an order in?" Or you can uh, go to BarnesandNoble.com and order me right there too. Really though. Amazon right now, I mean, that's the best. Well, either right? way, I mean, some people like, they have the Barnes & Noble membership and they uh-huh, want that, right, you know, right. bonus some points. Some people like to go to the store. It's fine, and oh, some people, right. I still have actually people who do go to the Barnes & Noble. You want Kindle? You have a direct Kindle download? Direct Kindle download as well, yes. And um, if you have, like, the Kindle direct library lending thing or whatever, you pay that monthly subscription, you can get my book there as well, so. Cool. All kinds of ways to find my stuff. So. That was awesome. Are you doing any signings or anything lately? Or you... This time I'm not sure. I know with my first book I did a tour and I I also went to a few high schools and that was it was fun and it was uh it was pretty interesting to hear. I I, I forget how um some kids are just they're they, they're really adult and they're really mature and their questions took me off guard. I was expecting a lot more frivolously like questions about, you know, the story itself, but some of them were uh, asking me about, oh, did I, you know, how much influence did I have on the cover? Was as an artist, did I feel like the publisher was trying to squelch my ideas and things like that? And I was like, whoa, I was not expecting these questions. But then the middle school sect is much more what I thought, which was, wow, you know, the cover's really pretty. Is that you on the cover? You know, and they really, I could tell, like, they hadn't quite read the book. So, <laughs> so, but that's okay. It's fun to connect with all kinds of fans. So. That's awesome. Well, hey, I'm I'm amazed. I'm a Diana Paws fan. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. Uh, Diana Paws, ladies and gentlemen, we salute you. We'll add an, you're, you're adding a clap sound effect, will you? Or not? <laughs> you are lazy. Yes, Diana. Diana Paws. Thank you for having me, guys. I've been Christian Alex. I've been Andrew Bush, Thunderwolf Live <laughs> on and, Twitter. And this is American Otaku. You, go ahead. I know you want to say the last thing. Say the last thing. No, you got it, Jay. <laughs> All right, thanks. You grab me now.